Dr. West, a blessing is always to see you, my friend. How are you? Brother, what a sublime day we have had here in Mississippi. And for you to come from L.A. to come back to your native state and spend it together with me and my beloved wife, Anahita, and all of the wonderful folk here in Mississippi has really been sublime, man. It's, it's been an amazing day. Good and uh, I, did, I didn't even know what exactly to, spe- to expect when you invited me to, to join you here. I knew we'd have a good time, as we always do. Absolutely. I didn't know what, what to expect in terms of the agenda, but it turns out that this is um, an annual day, an annual weekend in this great state of Mississippi. As you mentioned, the state of my birth, M-I, crooked letter, crooked letter, I, crooked letter, crooked letter, I, humpback, uh, humpback, humpback, I, I. Mississippi, uh, the yeah, state of my birth. Yeah. Um, this is their annual Emmett Till anniversary weekend. So I want to start with this. Here we are in Mississippi, gut bucket Mississippi. Yeah. Uh, on an Emmett Till anniversary weekend, and today, uh, Monday, the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington. Can you juxtapose those two things for me? Because Emmett Till, clearly the murder of Emmett Till, is one of the catalysts for the Absolutely. movement as we know it. And obviously the crescendo would be, for many, the March on Washington. So juxtapose those two things for me if you can. Well, one of them, there is no March on Washington. There is no escalation of the black freedom movement in the 60s without what happened in August of 1955 when Emmett Till was vicious, viciously killed by cowardly white supremacist terrorists. Mm-hmm. That was his body brought back to Chicago when Mamie, the great Mamie Till, with her father for the, for the trial, mm-hmm. brought his body back to Robert Temple's Church of God in Christ in Chicago, kept that casket open. John Johnson took a picture of it. The whole nation, the world, especially black America, could see it. Mm-hmm. And then the great Theodore Roosevelt Mason Howard, one of the great freedom fighters in Mississippi, went on a lecture tour. Mm-hmm. He went to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church on November 27, 1955. Martin Luther King Jr. introduced him, Rosa Parks sitting on the front row, and four days, four days later, she decides to sit down on a bus in order to stand up for justice with what? Emmett on my mind. Emmett on my mind. Emmett Till was on my mind. So you're absolutely right. It was a catalyst, and in some ways it was a causal agent. Mm-hmm. And what we have experienced here, the museum last night, watching the movie, the rich dialogue with the brothers and sisters from Mississippi, and then in Lexington this morning. Mm-hmm. And then Rankin County zeroing in on our precious brothers Jenkins, Michael Jenkins, with his really magnificent mother Mary, as you saw, I was mm-hmm. blessed to sit next to her. I was humbled to sit next to her in all of her dignity and nobility, but also Eddie Parker and so many others. And mm-hmm. I salute Brother Malik Shabazz and Trent Walker and my bre- dear brother uh, Coach uh, Andrew Campbell and Brother Kareem. Mohammed, I mean, all of them have come together here to try to turn things around. And I believe, as you know, Mississippi is ground zero mm-hmm. for the black freedom struggle. We know it musically in terms of the birth of the blues. The blues is the greatest artistic breakthrough of the 20th century with artistic creativity, spiritual fortitude, and moral courage unprecedented in the history of this country. And then politically, with the death of Emmett Till and the movement of Fannie Lou Hamer and Metgar Evers and Merle Evers and Amsey Moores. There's so many mm. magnificent freedom fighters coming out of Mississippi. And keep in mind, Tavis, in 1860, 
Mississippi was the wealthiest state of the Union. Mm. Isn't that something? I mean, that, that, the that, wealthiest that is, state of the that Union. That is an interesting juxtaposition because in many ways now it is the, one of the poorest states exactly. in the Union. What, how, do you, how, do you, what, how did you read that dichotomy, the wealthiest state then and one of the poorest states now? The constant is the suffering of black people and the exploitation of black labor mm-hmm. and laborers. Mm-hmm. It was black people's work on that cotton that made Mississippi the, the wealthiest city in 1860. Mm-hmm. And the very fact that not just the number of black people, which is high, but of course South Carolina was near Mississippi in terms of percentage of black people in the state. But it was the fact that black folk waking up was such a deep threat to that wealth and that power. And that's why the violence has been so intense. I mean, one could argue that black folk have caught more hell and high water in Mississippi than any other state of the Union. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, black people have never allowed that kind of violence, catastrophe, and oppression to have the last word. That's where you get the B.B. King, the Howling Wolves, and the the, uh, the Muddy Waters, and Albini Jones, and Reverend C.L. Franklin, and Sam Cooke from Clarksdale, and <laughs> David Ruffin from Why Not Mississippi. We can go on and on and on. And, and Tavis Smiley from Gulfport. And Smiley, <laughs> Tavis Smiley from Gulfport, <laughs> and Albert Roberto from East St. Louis. Absolutely. Oh, we can go on and on. Eddie Glaude oh, from, yeah. brother Eddie's from, uh, 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 Where's he from? Uh, he's something point. Moss Point. Moss, 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 Moss Point. Moss Point. Moss point. Yeah, yeah. Brother Eddie, sorry about that, bro. You can right. just have Oh, yeah, yeah, Moss Point. Absolutely. Let, it, I got 90 seconds here, uh, and mm-hmm. we'll continue on the other side. But let me, let me just ask you right quick to say another word about that connection between Rosa Parks and Emmett Till. And I raise it because I don't know that people always connect the dots, the continuum of black struggle. But you made a powerful point. Immaterials on her mind. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But it's very much like the slave insurrections when they used to kill the little black babies and they'd have the funeral for the babies and that was, they, they tended to be the catalyst for the slave insurrection mm-hmm. when black folks said, this is enough, we can't take any more of this. This white supremacy is so sick and pathological and obscene that we have to respond. It's cowardly, we have to respond. That's what happened with Emmett. Yeah. People start straightening their backs up. Well, this is what is happening right now in Mississippi with, with, with Brother Jenkins and Brother Park and a whole host of others. People are beginning to straighten their backs up. And I'm telling you, Brother Martin used to say, anytime folks straighten their backs up, they're going somewhere because folk can't ride your back unless it's bent. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. We are in Mississippi uh, as we speak for this conversation. Dr. Cornell West, the uh, candidate for the Green Party uh, nomination for president, is our guest in this hour. More with him when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Unapologetically progressive. progressive. Unapologetically black. Black, black. You're tapping. He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black, black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. You're listening to Tavis Smiley, and I'm glad about it, uh, it, particularly given that today is the 60th anniversary of the uh, March on Washington. So I'm saying today, but this conversation is actually being recorded on the weekend in Mississippi, the the state of my birth. And as Dr. West, our guest in this hour, in case you've just tuned in, Cornel West, uh, presidential candidate for the Green Party nomination, is our guest. He and I together this weekend 
uh, in Mississippi on the Emmett Till anniversary weekend in the state of Mississippi, which means that there are all kinds of activities going on in the state of Mississippi this weekend to commemorate the life and legacy, um, a short life, but an impactful mm-hmm. life to be sure, the life and legacy of one Emmett Till. Uh, and uh, the persons uh, organizing these various events in the state of Mississippi were kind enough to invite uh, Dr. West to, to be a keynoter at a number of events happening uh, around the state over the weekend. And Dr. West called me and invited me to come down. Of course, I'm always happy to come back to my home state of Mississippi. And so we've been together for a couple of days just moving around the state in the Delta, uh, specifically um, uh, trying to raise some critical issues at this moment. You said a number of times uh, on, 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 on the trip, Dr. Dr. West, that mm-hmm. Mississippi these days is ground zero in the black struggle for freedom. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, one, I would say Mississippi in many ways has always been. That doesn't mean that North Carolina, Coltrane State, or South Carolina, Dizzy Gillespie State, uh, uh, or Florida, or Georgia, but we, we have basically been a Southern people. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm from Louisiana, Huey Newton from Louisiana, you from Mississippi, you know what I mean? Ninety-five percent of us was from the South, given just a hundred and some years. Mm-hmm. But Mississippi was ground zero, and of course, Chicago becomes Mississippi North. <laughs> and Chicago has levels of creativity and courage that we still don't have languages for mm-hmm. in jazz and blues, as well as churches and so on. Mm-hmm. And so, in that sense, when you think about the Black freedom struggle, it's first primarily a Southern affair. It's primarily under vicious forms of American apartheid, mm-hmm. atrocious forms of American terrorism, Jim and Jane Crow, and lynching. Mm-hmm. And you remember when Martin goes to Washington, D.C., you know, the first thing he says in his speech is, we have come from somewhere. That's right. We come from Mississippi. We come from Georgia. We come from Alabama. We come from the South. Mm-hmm. So, so he's acknowledging that's the context mm-hmm. of black love, black joy, black freedom in the face of vicious white supremacist attack and assault, but also predatory capitalists because mm-hmm. it's about the fusion of hatred and greed. Mm-hmm. They go hand in hand. And that's why in Washington with Martin King and they feel it Randolph and others, they talking about freedom and jobs. It's always a matter of keeping in place the economic dimension of the struggle for freedom. But as we know in Mississippi, when you talk about the blues, or when you talk about Reverend C.L. Franklin, who's the father of a genius named Aretha, but he was a genius himself, there's a spiritual freedom. There's an artistic freedom. Mm. There's a stylistic freedom that black people have always enacted as we acknowledge that economic freedom and self-determination mm. in the economic mm. sphere is very, and political sphere is very important. We just had a conversation on this program last week. Um, there's a report that comes out every so often uh, called uh, the Disparity Report, essentially. Hmm. Uh, and this report tracks, um, thanks to these wonderful uh, uh, black think tanks, a couple of them in, in the D.C. area, nation's capital, that track black income inequality. I'm thinking about this as you talk now because we were, we were discussing earlier the fact that in the 1800s at one point, Mississippi was the wealthiest the state wealthiest in the state. Union. Isn't that something? In many respects now, the poorest state in the Union. And this disparity report, uh, as our listeners uh, who heard this last week, if you missed it, by the way, check out our podcast. You have got to hear this conversation uh, that we had last week with Diedrich Asante Muhammad, 
Diedrich mm. Asante Muhammad on this program last week, uh, breaking down this new report, this new research study about black income inequality. And here's the takeaway. I want to get your take on it since we're in Mississippi right now talking about right. these issues of economy and economies of scale. So the new data suggests it's going to take 780 years at the pace we're moving now, 780 years for black uh, income to reach parity with white income at the pace we're moving now, 780 years. It's going to take 500, if my recollection is correct, 561 years for black wealth to reach parity with white wealth in this country. We're going to talk a bit later about your campaign, mm. but this is one of those campaign mm. questions uh, that yes. I suspect you're going to get asked and certainly should get asked. And so I'm going to be the one of the first to ask it now. When you hear data like that about the economic condition of black folk that we still lack far behind in every single leading economic indicator category, you say what? Well, I say, my dear brother, you know, when you move from ugly police brutality, when you look at the shattering of poor communities and black communities when it comes to shattered families. Mm -hmm. Our church is no longer as strong as they used to and many of them tied much more to market <coughs> religion rather than the religion of Jesus of Nazareth. Mm -hmm. When you look at the very low quality of too many of our black leaders who are willing to engage in making it rather than really keeping the faith with the people those 785 years or 500 and some years, you know, it, you say to yourself, if we don't come to terms with it in the next generation or two, things are going to snap. Mm. That's what the fascist movement is all about. And when you say snap, you mean by that word exactly. I'm not but, naive. But, but, what do you no, mean by snap? No, by snap, what I mean is very much like after 1877 in the 19th century, mm -hmm. a return to vast white supremacist control, a return to a foreign policy that invades and occupies nations anytime they want to, mm -hmm. a return to vicious attacks on the trade union movement to make sure that greedy bosses are able to gain access to profits without any pressure from workers, ugly attacks on women, be it productive rights or be it women just gaining access to high levels of success. All of the things we associated with the worst of America pushing back the best of America. Mm -hmm. And see, when I think of the best of America, it's not just Martin King and Rabbi Heschel and Edward Zaid and uh, uh, Dorothy Day and others, but I think back of my pastor, mm -hmm. Reverend Willie P. Cook, mm -hmm. Brookhaven, Mississippi, baptized me 62 years ago. In Shiloh Baptist Church. In Shiloh Baptist <laughs> Church. But yeah. he was a courageous leader that his prison ministry was stronger than his building fund mm. that he was not a ceo of a profit-making enterprise he was a pastor of a church who loved the people we saw this with brother ava mm -hmm. uh, harvey today at progress rest missionary baptist church there in in, in brandon mm -hmm. you see that's greatness for me he or she is greatest among you, will be your servant, will be willing to sacrifice, live and die for the least of these, those mass incarcerated, those in ghettos and hoods and reservations and any poor community, even working class community, anybody who they are. Mm -hmm. Vicious attacks on trans, sick, ugly perceptions of gay brothers and lesbian sisters. For me, spiritually sick. Where's the love? 
where is the love? That is the challenge that we have. Mm-hmm. But that's what Martin understood mm-hmm. with the March on Washington, too. Yeah. He knew that if somehow we didn't expand and make it possible to break the back of American apartheid, we were going to have another civil war. And it could be we headed toward another civil war. You said a few things I want to interrogate right quick. Um, I asked this question of others, uh, one or two others on this program last week, as I recall, um, but I want to ask it now of Cornell West. If, if, you, if you look at the march 60 years ago through the lens of public policy that came forward, it's hard to argue that it wasn't successful. Right. You got the Civil Rights Act, you got the Voting Rights Act, uh, Voting Rights Act 64, 65, major housing legislation 68. So in terms of seminal legislation, it's hard to argue that it was not successful, it was not impactful. But as you know, the official title was the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. freedom. That's exactly. Okay. Jobs and freedom, freedom and jobs go hand in hand. They do indeed. So talk to me about that because one looks at that data that I just offered you a moment ago about how we still lag far behind in every single leading economic indicator category and raises a question, how successful was the march really? Yeah, it's a wonderful question. And I don't mean to demean it, I'm just asking your take on it. It's a wonderful question. And in some ways we go back to Malcolm X. You know, Malcolm said that uh, it was a picnic Mm. because the Kennedy administration had to read every speech that John Lewis had to change his speech. Mm-hmm. James Baldwin couldn't give any speech. So there was still white oversee. And no women. And no women. Yeah. You know what Mahalia Jackson is? Mahalia saying, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. Mahalia is deeper than most of those <laughs> Who <were speaking> brothers. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest yes, about it. We yes. won't get into all of that right now. I got you. you remember, she's the one telling him, tell him about the dream, about Martin. The dream, tell him about the dream. Tell she hadn't raised that question. Martin went and ended, but we, we won't get into all of it right yeah, now. Right. But the point is this that the Kennedy administration did have some control over the march and they wanted to confine it to political legislation and didn't want to hit the economic issues mm-hmm. that Byron Rustin and A. Philip Randolph and Martin King and the others were also pressing. Mm-hmm. Full unemployment, increase of minimum wage. We still dealing with that right now. Mm-hmm. Grotesque wealth inequality. We still deal with that right now. But it was a political success because of the civil rights and voting rights mm-hmm. and housing. And it's true that under Johnson, under LBJ, he began to really zero in on the issues of poverty mm-hmm. until the Vietnam War took those resources away. So I would say it was quasi-success. But okay. as Malcolm reminds us, you don't stab folk nine inches in the back and pull it out six and celebrate your progress and success. Mm -hmm. The poverty's still there, you see. The uh, uh, lack of access to health care, access to to houses of decency, access to quality education, Mm -hmm. access to especially deep dignity and respect. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, 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 what Martin King in some ways always was calling for was a revolution in the form of the sharing of power, the sharing of resources, Mm -hmm. the sharing of dignity, the sharing of respect. And you can't have that without a fundamental transformation that's tied to Wall Street. But he also called for, as you know, and I've heard you lecture about this many times, a revolution of values. Yes, he did. Which we still have not gotten around to. I know. I know. In some ways, you know, it's connected to a revolution of virtues. Because virtues cut deeper than values. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Virtues are the 
habitual patterns of behavior that one cultivates over time and space so that courage, magnanimity, all those are questions of characters, not mm -hmm. just values. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So when you look at a Malcolm or Martin or Fannie Lou Hamer or Medgar Evers or Theodore Roosevelt, Mason, Howard again mm -hmm. here in Mississippi, they ran him out in 56, he ended up in Chicago. But when you think about the courage that they had, mm -hmm. that's not just a value. Yeah, it's a that's a virtue, you yeah. see. And we got too many cowardly leaders. Now, I know I don't know what happened today or this weekend in Washington, D.C. I want to talk about that. But I can tell you one thing. Compared to what happened in 1963 yeah. and 2023 mm -hmm. would be the difference between John Coltrane and Kenny G. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> While, while, while you and I were moving around the state of Mississippi, I was getting messages from people, and this is just, these are just my friends, but people who were watching uh, the march and the festivities in D.C. Saturday were texting me, and if I were to use a word, underwhelmed. It was underwhelming for a lot of people. And I don't mean to cast aspersion on anybody who was involved in organizing and who appeared at the march, but I kept hearing from a variety of people that it was uh, in many respects, underwhelming. I raised that to ask, uh, first of all, you, ra you went there, so I'm following you, but I, I raised that to ask whether or not in this moment, in late modernity, given what, what this democracy is up against, whether or not in your mind, marches and protests still matter. Do marches still matter? Do oh, protests, does, do oh, protests still matter? They always matter. Okay. You see, we have to use every form of weaponry. Mm -hmm. You know, the sixth chapter of Ephesians says, put on the armor, the breastplate, the shield. You, mm -hmm. use, you have to use every form of intellectual, spiritual, moral, and political weaponry. Mm -hmm. And marches are just one. But if you invest in marches with no follow-through, then you got a problem. Mm -hmm. If you have leaders of the march, and Sharpton and others, you know, I got deep love for Sharpton. Mm -hmm. He and I have been fighting for the last 25, 30 years over a whole host of issues. And he's made his own distinctive contribution, but I've got some serious critiques of it, too. It's not personal. Yes, sir. We come out of the same tradition in the black church and so forth. And, of course, you know Brother Dwight McKee and others mm -hmm. who me and Sharpton have a deep love for. But at the same time, because Sharpton has become so deeply embedded in the Democratic Party, and because he's been willing to deal with a whole host of variety of different lobbies who have very little focus on black poor and black working people, because often they're tied to you know, the corporate elites and Wall Street and so forth, then it's going to be difficult to sustain the John Coltrane-like love supreme of 1963 with the more market sensibility of 2023 mm -hmm. in our leadership. And that's a, a, a devolution, that's a decline in terms of vision and courage and tremendous consistency that focuses on the least of these. What is always crucial about Mississippi is, and we had that wonderful talk with James Meredith today. We're going to come to that. You're going to come to that. Hold that thought. Finish your, oh, finish your no. thought now. We'll come back to Meredith. No, but yeah. the thing about Mississippi is that I love the mayor here too and Jackson too, uh, Brother Lumumba. Yes. In Mississippi, if you ain't got nothing to say about the least of these, it's going to be hard to get some traction. Uh, I know you have a lot more to say about the least of these. <laughs> so there's more traction for us to get uh, when this conversation continues. Uh, we'll talk about James Meredith. We did have a chance to sit with the iconic yes, James Meredith God earlier bless. today. And his wonderful wife. Here in Mississippi. And we'll talk about fascism and why Cornell West is the only presidential candidate who's not afraid to talk about fascism. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. This is getting good. Yeah, man. 
hand. Tabitha Smiley continues when we come forward. Honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tabitha Smiley. I'm Tavis Smiley. Delighted to have you tuned into our program today as we celebrate the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington, April 28, 1963. Our guest is Green Party presidential candidate, Dr. Cornell West. Uh, he and I, uh, as we sit for this conversation right now, are in Mississippi. Uh, and uh, we have been there for a couple of days moving around the state, specifically in the Delta, uh, celebrating uh, Emmett Till's uh, anniversary weekend here in the great state of Mississippi. Earlier today, Doc, uh, again, as we sit with this conversation right now, mm-hmm. uh, we, we literally, half hour, 45 minutes ago, just left the home of the iconic James Meredith. James Meredith, as you know, is the, the, the African-American uh, brother who integrated Ole Miss. Uh, a huge story in the annals of African-American history. He heard that Dr. West and I were in town, and the invitation came to meet him at his home, come say hello to him. He just turned 90 in June, Mind is sharp as ever. What did you make of our conversation, our, 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 our time with James Meredith today? Yeah, it, it hit me hard, though, brother. It really did. He's 90 years old. He was. Remember what he said? He said that the, the most fundamental fact about his life was his skin color. Mm-hmm. You see, that's how deep how did that hit you I know how it hit me when wow, he said that the most wow. fun, he's a 90 year old man 90 years old iconic again integrates universe and in, in, uh, integrates Ole Miss and he mm-hmm. says brother brother West uh, Tavis the defining moment of my life it really <laughs> has been my skin color how, how did you read that yeah that just hit me hard though man mm-hmm. because I mean you know all of the various dimensions of our humanity uh, that goes far beyond race, mm-hmm. and yet white supremacy still persists in such a thick manner. Mm-hmm. So when he goes back in '62 with the march against fear, and we talk so much in Mississippi about breaking the back of fear with love and courage, and mm-hmm. trying to keep black scared, black folks scared and intimidated mm-hmm. and fearful and so forth, and that march of fear that he had, and then now, you know, almost. 50 some years later, 50 what? No, 60. Mm-hmm. One year later. Mm-hmm. What, what else he said? Things hadn't changed that much. Mm-hmm. You said, oh, Brother James, of course they have. You got that young renaissance in Mississippi with Jessam Ward and David Banner and Sister Natasha. I mean, we can go on and on at these young Mississippi voices mm-hmm. that are taken off, and yet at the same time, the Jenkins and Parkers. Mm-hmm. And not just them, but the ugly police brutalizations. The goon squad. The goon squads, which are not just in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. They're in Atlanta, they're in Memphis, they're in Chicago, they're in New York, they're in L.A. as well. Mm-hmm. But it, it just hit me and think about, wow, you know, we really have to... Uh, fortify ourselves you know mm-hmm. got that forti- fortification street oh, yeah. in jackson we passed by it. fortification he hit street. historic jackson yeah. state <laughs> university of course we yeah. passed and we were talking about how do mm-hmm. we fortify ourselves given what's been coming at us for so long and we think we make a breakthrough yeah. and then you get a backslide you met the nina simone mm-hmm. mississippi gd we can't say it huh yeah yeah. Lord have mercy. We got it. They, Everybody they, know what they, they know what you're talking about. Nina Simone was talking about. And she says it's out of love for the black Mississippi. Yeah. And we should add when we go to the white side of town that 
William Faulkner, novelist, Mississippi. Tennessee Williams, playwright, mm -hmm. Mississippi. Eudora Welty, mm -hmm. short story, Mississippi. Other than the blues, which is the greatest achievement not just in Mississippi, but America artistically in the 20th century, that Mississippi has had this kind of fundamental impact on art, on culture, mm. on society, on politics, far for more, far more than its size. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting uh, wrestling with this. His young brother, uh, Donald Brown, who is a Rhodes Scholar from Mississippi, he's at Brown that wrote a dissertation on what is distinctive about Mississippi in terms of its breakthroughs, in terms of its histories, in terms of its ways of wrestling with what it means to be human yeah. from the artistic and the political points of view. Of course, Richard Wright, Margaret Walker, there's just so many other examples that we have. Now, I know you coming from Mississippi, I don't want to push this too far because I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we got something going on. <laughs> Me and Uncle Charlie. All right, man. That's well, the Gap Band. We, got, we got something going on, Green, brother. Greenwood, Archer, and Pond. We got Jake. We, we, got, we got Jake. We got Jake from Sacramento. <laughs> Jake <laughs> King. We I, I love Jake. I'm mad at you, Doc. I'm, I'm watching my time here. Um, oh, really? Let me. I, I want to talk about your campaign. I mean, one of the reasons, the primary reason that I am here is because you invited me to join you. Uh, we've done this a number of times over the course of our oh, thirty Lord, plus year yeah. friendship and brotherhood. Um, traveled the world together, yeah, and absolutely. so when you invited me, I came. Um, but the reason you were here is because they wanted to hear from a presidential candidate in this critical moment about the future of this democracy, or as I call it, an experiment in democracy. And so they put the call out to Cornell West. You responded, and they are, uh, have been delighted, of course, over this weekend to see you uh, at all these different stops. L let me just ask you right quick, um, why you are so free calling it the way you see it, that is to say fascism, the word you used earlier. Joe Biden used that word one time. Mm. As you recall, they slapped him aside the head, and he, won't, he, he ain't said it again. But he, but he was honest in that moment. Um, but one of the things I see people loving about you, and I love about you, people respond to about you, is that you are a truth teller. And you use that F word, you mean it, and you use it consistently, but there are not a lot of folk on the campaign trail who are courageous enough to call it the way they see it. Well, one is that, see, I am as deeply concerned about the precious son of Mary Jenkins, Brother Michael, mm -hmm. as I am the child of Biden. Mm -hmm. If Biden had cousins and loved ones who were being brutalized chronically, who were living in poverty of longevity, who were being overly policed, who were in living in indecent housing and didn't have access to Medicare, my hunch is mm. he'd have a different sensibility. Now, I'd be concerned about his kids just like I'm concerned about my dear sister Jenkins' kids mm. or Parker's or whatever, you see. And so for me, we have to be very honest about keeping track of the forces coming at us. Fascism is the rule of big military and big money, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and others with a 1% that has an indifference toward the plight of the rest of the population, but especially the poor and working po portions of that population. Mm -hmm. And they scapegoat the most vulnerable in terms of immigrants on the border 
or in terms of gay brothers and lesbian sisters or women out of control and especially black folk and believe that they could talk about indigenous peoples as if they're less than human when it's their land that we are on. Mm. Right? And in addition, use military adventurism abroad. See, that's all those coming together constitute distinctive forms of fascism. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be honest in our language to show just how ugly and just how immoral and unjust fascist rule, fascist practices actually are. Mm. There is a, um, is a powerful piece. Um, I want to just tee this up. We'll get Dr. West's response to this when we come forward. So I only have a minute to set this up. But there is a piece uh, that I discovered on my way to Mississippi to meet you. When I landed and saw you late night for dinner, I asked you, had you seen the piece? You had not. Your, your precious wife, uh, Anahita, had not seen it. And so I, I pulled my phone out, as you recall, yeah, to share it with you. Yeah, it is the best piece I've seen written so far. I'm your friend. I'm your brother. I don't, my cards are on the table. I've always said Cornel West gets my primary vote. End of story. Hard stop. Full stop. So I'm, I'm already on the record about that. Um, but it's the best piece I've seen written about your campaign. And it's the best and about your candidacy. And it's the best piece I've seen written so far because Brother Sekou, who wrote the yes, piece, yes. did not shy away from the critiques that are being leveled against you. Absolutely. And he, he characterized these critiques in three categories. And I want to get your response on the record to these three things that he writes about regarding the critique of your campaign. One, you recall these three? Oh, absolutely. The first was? The first one was ego. Ego. The second, the second one was, was vanity. And the third one was? And the was, third one was selfishness. And that's what we're going to talk about when we come forward. Cornell West's ego, his vanity, <laughs> and his selfishness. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. <laughs> More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Helping to make you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. I'm Tavis Smiley. We are here with Dr. Cornell West. We're in Mississippi for the, the recording of this conversation as we celebrate today the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington. Dr. West, uh, as you well know, is the Green Party candidate uh, for president. And, and as such, um, a lot of darts being uh, tossed his way. How's your how's your back feeling? You feel them? You feel them darts in your back, brother? I'm feeling stronger than ever. <laughs> stronger than ever. Let me let me run through these three things. If you have not seen this piece written by uh, brother Seku, it's on News One. Just go to the News One website. Go to the News One platform. Just type in Cornell West um, Seku. That's S E K O U. Just Seku is the author. Uh, type in Cornell West name or Seku. You'll find it. It's on again the News One platform. The best piece I have seen written so far about Cornell West and why he's running and what he, in fact, can accomplish with this campaign. One of the coldest lines in the piece is that he, uh, basically quoting you, says that you're running, uh, deciding to run, is an act of desperation. Can you, in 30 seconds, what, what do you mean, what does he mean when he calls your campaign uh, an act of desperation? Yeah, but you know, Brother Sekou, that brother, he hits the nail on the head of what, not just my campaign, my campaign is a moment in a larger movement that's domestic and global for oppressed peoples. And he understands that this is about bearing witness and allowing the great black freedom movement and the great people's freedom movements to spill over into electoral politics so it exposes the mediocrities and all of the criminalities that are downplayed by politics as, as it's usually done. Mm -hmm. 
And Brother Seiko, you know, he and I go back a long way. I'm telling you, he's a brilliant brother. He's one of the most important intellectuals and activists of, of, of his, his, his generation from Delta, going up to Arkansas. That's, That's right. where he comes from. He's also a magnificent singer and artist. But I think more important, he, he, he recognizes that so many of the charges of ego and vanity and selfishness are just rationalizations of people being well-adjusted to the status quo that's unjust. Does Brother West have an ego? Hell yes. Does the ego get in the way of service for poor and working people? Look at my record. Does Brother West wrestle with vanity? Of course, I'm a crack vessel. Does Brother West allow that vanity to foreclose any generosity? Take a look at my praxis. The proof is in the pudding. Is Brother West driven by a selfishness? Everybody got a selfishness. My own Bible tells me, love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm -hmm. We need more black self-love, black self-respect, black self-esteem. But that doesn't mean you don't love others. Mm -hmm. So that so many of these formulations are really just rationalizations of the two-party system, rationalizations of the corporate duopoly, and in many instances among leaders and some intellectuals more and more. It doesn't allow them to critically examine themselves and their own forms of complicity mm. to the leaders that they are tied to. So it's about ego, but it's, it's their ego. Well, all of us, <laughs> that, that but all of us, no, vanity, you. all of us, selfishness, yeah. all of us, but it's no, always more than that. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, one of the best lines in that piece that Sekou writes, and I encourage you to read it, it's again at News One, check it out for yourself. One of the one of the great lines in that piece um, is the distinction that he makes uh, about your campaign, your candidacy being more about witness than winning. Nothing wrong with winning. Cornell West would love to win. Anybody that runs wants to win. Absolutely. You ain't running not to win. That's right. The di- a distinct difference between winning and witnessing in Cornell West campaigns primarily about witnessing. Our remaining moments with Dr. Cornell West, Green Party presidential candidate, when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Ranked number 45 on the heavy hundred list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. About four minutes left here in conversation with the Green Party president candidate, Dr. Cornell West, uh, who I've spent the last couple of days with running around the Delta in Mississippi. Oh, First of all, yes. It's always an honor to be in your presence, brother. Brother, did we have a good time? Brother, we had an amazing time, brother. Lord I love just have I love listening to your talks in all these different spaces and love seeing the love of the people for you and your love for them. I've said to many people that one of the reasons why you are my friend and brother and I support you is I've I've rarely met anybody in a uh, public space, much less a political space, who is so unapologetic about their love for black folk. It's a rare thing, man. Well, the thing is, is that I think it's actually more pervasive, but it's invisible because so many folk are obsessed with superficial mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that black love, like love in general, it's it's operating on the ground, but you can't make money on it. Mm-hmm. You can't turn it into a superficial spectacle. You go to some of the funerals and you see people's love overflowing with the tears and unbelievable heartbreak. That's the real thing. Yeah. We saw it today with my dear brother Malik Shabazz, you know, whatever disagreements you have with that brother, he gave a love testimony 
because he wants to break the back of the vicious forms of police brutality and violence coming at black folk. And when you do that in Rankin County, you can get killed. Yeah. And his mama is concerned and we concerned. And that's similar to what 1963 was about. Almost everybody on that stage from Martin across the board could have been killed any minute. Because they had a love that allowed them to break the back of fear and the witness to the magnificent nobility and dignity of black people, especially black poor and working people. And I told my dear brother, and I tell my blessed wife, I put on my cemetery clothes every day. I'm coughing ready. And if all they can do is kill me, then that means, in fact, there's thousands and thousands that come after that will understand Crack vessels like myself trying to use as examples mm -hmm. the love supreme and the caravan of love of the Isley Brothers and the love train of the OJs. Those are not just songs. Because yeah. when you love black people, you got to get ready to die. Um, in the uh, 90 seconds I have left here, how is the campaign going? Are you going to qualify as a Green Party candidate uh, on state ballots? That's, that's the trick. You got to get on these state ballots. Oh, we already got we already got nineteen. Okay. No, brother Rick is on the way. We're gonna have thirteen by December. Okay, thirteen more by December. By more, so that's that. Okay. That'll be thirty-two right there. All We're right. on the way to like forty-six or forty-seven. There Absolutely. Now I've still got to win the Green Party nomination. Sure, There's no do. doubt about well, that. that. For, for me, that's for me. That's. I don't want to take that for granted. I got you. I don't take that for granted at all. But most you. importantly, yeah. I'm going to be true to what Irene and Clifton West and Shiloh Baptist Church and the Black Panther Party put in my soul, which is to speak my truth, to bear witness to a justice, to have a sense of humor, try to preserve my style, and always smile. You can't do much better than that. On the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington, to sit for an hour in dialogue with the candidate for the Green Party presidential nomination, uh, Dr. Cornell West, uh, who has been on this program before, and I'm sure will come on again as he continues to move through this campaign. But I didn't want uh, this day of celebration to end without uh, having his voice as a part of this program. Dr. West, I love you. There ain't nothing you love can do you, about it. I love you, my brother. Well, we had a good time in Mississippi. Time, I'm Mississippi. telling you. Love you, Doc.